As I was thinking about what to talk about this morning, I um, was praying for you guys and thinking about this time and thought I would talk about the love of God. So if you have a Bible, won't you please turn to John chapter 13, John chapter 13, and we're going to think about the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. I'll read the passage and then pray, and then we can, uh, we can jump in together. So John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word and open it up, we pray that by your spirit you would open up our hearts. Uh, We pray that we would see this morning the incredible love of Christ. And we pray that as we gaze upon his love, that you would change our hearts by your spirit so that we might love others as we have been loved. Amen. Well, it might not appear like it from the beginning because of all the uh, foot washing happening here, but this passage is all about love. And I think that it's always a topic we're thinking about. We live in a world that lacks a lot of love. Increasingly in South Africa, the growing polarization, the growing animosity means that more than ever, we need to know what love is. We need to know what love is. And this passage shows us a perfect picture of love. I say that because of how verse 1 ends. Take a look at the end of verse 1. It says that having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. Now, that phrase in Greek is a little bit ambiguous. It could mean one of two things. It could mean that Jesus loved his disciples to the end in terms of time. He loved them to the end of his life. That's certainly true. 
But it could also mean that he loved them to the end in the sense that he loved them to the full. He loved them to completion. He loved them to the uttermost. And I think that's probably what John has in mind more. Uh, what's about to happen here is, is a picture of the full extent of the love of Christ for his people. It's a picture of the fullness of his love. In other words, if you want to see what love looks like, this passage gives you the perfect picture. None of us need to be in any doubt as to what love is or what love should be like because in this passage we have the ideal uh, depiction of love. So what that is that? Well, um, the first thing we see about this is that love is humble. The first thing we learn about love is the humble nature of love. Now, the context here is very important. In John chapters 1 to 12, he has, Jesus has been exercising his ministry towards the Jewish nation, uh, the nation of Israel. But the culmination of that ministry was rejection. It's quite surprising. I don't know if you ever think about that, but Jesus' ministry was actually rejected. If you have a Bible, take a look at verse 37 of chapter 12. In verse 37, we're told that even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, this is the, the kind of the, 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 the Jewish nation and the leaders of that nation, they still would not believe in him. Which was prophesied, by the way, by Isaiah. So it wasn't a surprise to Jesus, but it, it's, it's a surprise for us, hey, that the ministry of Jesus, in human terms, was, was actually rejected It wasn't a fruitful ministry in that sense. And so his ministry is, his public ministry is coming to an end with rejection. And the rejection is actually going to culminate in his crucifixion. And on the eve of his crucifixion, when when Jesus is about to experience the most horrendous suffering we can imagine, it is remarkable that he doesn't think about soothing himself or serving himself or protecting himself or loving himself but he thinks about his disciples he thinks about them he focuses on them remember back in the day uh, when people were traveling to and fro they didn't have uh, cars or tar roads they would do a lot of walking on dirt roads and uh, there wouldn't have just been dirt on the roads, but there would have been mud, there would have been manure, there would have been lots of very unsavory things on the road. And what that meant was when you walked along the road, whatever was on the road usually landed up on your feet. It was pretty gross. I mean, feet aren't ever really uh, sort of the most uh, beautiful or um, you know, attractive part of the human body, but particularly back in the day, um, they would have been even more disgusting than usual. And so after a long journey, uh, getting to um, this kind of place where they're having the evening meal, you can just imagine the kind of gross um, mud, manure, bunion-covered feet of the disciples um, slightly stinking up the place. And in fact, feet got so dirty that it was customary to have a, a basin and a jug by the front door so that you could wash your feet. Now, if you were wealthy enough, you'd actually have a slave who would wash, um, who would wash your uh, guest's feet. 
But the job was so gross that, that the rabbis taught Jewish slaves didn't have to do it. Only Gentile slaves, only non-Jewish slaves had to wash people's feet. It was, it was so gross. Well, it didn't seem as though there were any slaves to wash their feet. Um, but no one volunteered to wash anyone else's feet. So no one's feet got washed. You know, sometimes like uh, if you leave the kids to do the chores. Okay, you guys, you need to sort out for yourselves who's going to do the chores, and no one does them. <laughs> it's a little bit like that. No one, feet just don't, feet didn't get washed. So supper begins, but stinky feet are still kind of happening in the vicinity. Take a look at verse 3 then. It's something surprising. Uh, we're told something remarkable. Jesus knew, verse 3, that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So in verse 3, Jesus, Jesus knows that he is, he is in charge of the universe. He has all this power. He's come from God. He's going to God. He has, he has everything. He has all the resources. He has all the power. He has all the he has everything he needs. And think about that for a second. If you were very powerful, what, what do you typically do with that? You know, if you were very powerful, maybe you'd, you'd just uh, you know, zoom off to uh, an exotic island. Or you know, if you had all the power in the universe, I'd, just, I'd maybe create a lazy boy and a, a massive TV screen uh, with all my favorite um, sport or movies to watch. But when Jesus has all the power, when he realizes he's got all this power, verse 4, he gets up from the meal, takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist, and starts to wash the disciples' feet. It is absolutely astounding. Though he had the, the exaltation the preeminence in all the universe, Jesus voluntarily humbled himself and and did one of the most humiliating things in the ancient world. He washed his disciples' feet. You see, in a culture of shame and honor, which was the culture in the ancient world, to wash someone's feet wasn't just an act of service. It was an act of humiliation. It was an act that you were the most kind of abased person in that context. There's no other account in the ancient world of a master washing the feet of his followers or his servants. Jesus does something here that is absolutely shocking. And we, we're so familiar with it that it's lost its impact on us. But we've got to try and remember just how remarkable and unmistakable this was. It shows us what love involves. Love involves humble service. That's what love is. To love someone is to serve them with humility. That's what's um, great. You kind of see that in the, in the red frogs thing a little bit. We're just going to come and love people. How? By serving them. Uh, you, you, you notice that in parenting. You, you love your kids by serving them. You notice that in marriage. You, you love your spouse by serving them. Now, I think it's worth kind of reflecting a bit on that because we live in a culture that tends to think that love is affection. You know, you, you, you love someone when you feel all those 
emotions and those kind of groovy vibes in your soul and you're, you've got butterflies in your stomach and you're, you're feeling kind of, you know, the kind of um, a little bit giddy about it. And we think, well, that's real love. You know, and sometimes think, oh, I'm not sure if I love them because I, I'm not sure how I feel about it. So I'm not sure what my, my emotions are saying. Um, now, obviously, there's something to that, but it's, it's not the way the Bible primarily teaches us what love is. Love is primarily seen in humble service. And the more you, the more you serve someone, often, the more those affections actually grow. C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. Consequently, though Christian love sounds a very cold thing to people whose heads are full of sentimentality, and though it is quite distinct from affection, it leads to affection. The difference between a Christian and a worldly man is not that the worldly man has only affections and the Christian has only love. The worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. The Christian, trying to treat everyone kindly, finds himself liking more and more people as he goes on. Sometimes we don't serve people because we don't like them, whatever that means. And so we hold back. Don't, don't worry about whether you like someone or not. Just serve them. Just love them. Sacrifice for them. And you will find over time that you love them more and more that, and that your affections for them grow. Um, this is one of the things I've noticed in um, counseling ministry. Often when I initially meet a counselee, I don't know them very well. I don't find myself having a lot of automatic affection for them. But as we spend time together, as I listen to them, as we pray together, as we share God's word together, over time I find myself really liking them. One of the problems often in our lives and, and uh, in our culture is that people don't serve each other because they don't like each other. And if, if you allow your feelings to dictate who you serve, actually you'll just increasingly be isolated. Rather, love everybody, serve everybody, and over time your affection for them will grow. Your love is always seen in humble service. And so if you wanted to do a quick audit on your love, just think about who you serve. Just do a quick reflection on your life. Who is it that you're really serving? Who gets your best energy? Who, who reaps the reward of all of your labors? Who is the person that you're serving? Is it yourself? <laughs> uh, or is it someone else? You see, the recipient of your labors is the object of your love. The person who's really receiving all of the effort is the person that you really treasure. It's quite, um, it's quite sobering, hey? <laughs> because it's quite easy to say in the abstract, oh, I love people, I love I love Stellenbosch, I love Cape Town, I love South Africa, I love... I love my country. Well, it's easy to say that, but who are you actually serving? Who is, who is receiving uh, all of your labors? 
So that's the first thing we learn about love, the humble nature of love, that in his power and supremacy and glory, Jesus becomes a servant in humility. Real love is seen in humble service. But we don't just learn about the humble nature of love, we learn about the scandalous generosity of love. The scandalous generosity of love. So we've got to um, just go back to the story to see what I mean. Um, Now back in the day when people were having a meal, they weren't sitting around a table with chairs facing each other. They would have been like lying on the on the floor. There would have been a central um, table, sort of small table with food, and the feet were facing outward, obviously, because the feet were super gross. Um, but imagine how awkward the scene is. None of them offered to wash anyone's feet. None of them wash, offered to wash Jesus' feet, <laughs> which at least you would have thought they should have done that, but they didn't. Jesus is now slowly going around washing their feet one at a time. I'm sure you could have heard a pin drop. It must have been incredibly awkward for the disciples. After all, Jesus was the leader. Jesus, if anyone in that room should have had their feet washed, it was him. This had never been done before. No leader had washed his followers' feet and, and it gets so awkward that take a look at verse 6. When he comes to Simon Peter, verse 6, he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You see, Jesus was just trampling all over social convention. It, it was socially inappropriate to love someone like this. So radical was the love of Christ. So uh, generous was the love of Christ that it was a scandal Lord, are you, are you going to wash my feet? How could a master do this for a servant? How could a teacher do this for a people? It was too awkward. It was too much. It was, it was too extravagant. Peter says, no, you can't do this. But verse 7, take a look. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Bit of a motto for the disciples in general. They don't often know what's going on. Nevertheless, Peter doesn't allow um, understanding to get in the way of action. (laughs) And he says, no, you shall never wash my feet. Peter can't take it. This This is too much. You can't do this for me. And the tension in the room just goes up. Because Jesus replies unflinchingly, unless I wash you, You have no part with me. Now we'll come back to that in a few minutes, so just put a pin in that. Um, But but Jesus, Peter then goes, okay, well then 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 wash everything, and Jesus like, oh, (laughs) no, it's just if the feet are clean, you're fine. Don't worry about that. But the point here is that the love of Christ is so excessive, so radical, so generous that it defies social expectations. It's an absolute scandal that Jesus would do this for them. It's an absolute scandal that he would love people like this. Jesus' love is so remarkable that it raises questions, that it actually makes people uncomfortable. And that's what real love is like. 
if your love is real, it will defy all kinds of social conventions. You know, your love, if, if your love is the love of Christ, it'll cause people to be surprised. It'll cause people to take notice. It'll, it'll cause people to kind of be a bit confused even. Why are you doing this? I remember hearing of a pastor who um, spoke to um, a visitor to the church, um, a woman who'd come because of something her colleague did for her. And he said, well, what? tell me the story. And she said, well... We were at work, and she was a kind of junior-level employee, and her her um, colleague was a was a kind of her manager. He was a senior in a senior position, and she had made a huge blunder at work, and it was it was a big enough mistake to have cost her her job. Um, she should have been fired for it. It was it was that serious, um, especially as a junior employee. She didn't have a lot of social capital in the company, and an, a mistake this severe would have should have cost her her job, but. She didn't get fired, and uh, she had found out that her manager took the fall for her. He, um, he kind of took responsibility for her mistake. As her overseer, he, he said, you know, that was ultimately my bad. I, I, should, have, I, I should have kind of been helping her more and whatever. Um, he had a bit more social capital, so he didn't get fired, but nevertheless, it's still, it's still um, it, it was... He lost some of his social capital in the company, if you like, because of that. And uh, she was she was shocked that he would have done that. You know, why would you why would you um, kind of prevent your own career growth for my sake? You don't owe me anything. Uh, you don't you didn't need to do that. And he kind of just said, no, it's you know just what I wanted to do. Just leave it. But she kept pressing him and pressing him, and, and eventually he said, well. I did that because um, I'm a Christian and I believe that God showed me grace and love and I want to try and show that to other people. And she was, she was a bit shocked by that. <laughs> you know, he, he didn't do it to try and get her to church or anything like that. He wasn't trying to use it to manipulate her into going to an event. <laughs> but she was just struck by how, uh, how kind and how generous his love was. And she ended up she ended up wanting to go to church to find out more. That's the kind of love we need to have for people. The kind of love that raises, raises questions, crosses over social boundaries. And if you think of the increasing polarization in our country, this is more important than ever. It is so, it is so normal or natural to, to love people that that look like you or that are in the same economic bracket as you or speak the same language as you. But the love of Christ transcends all of those boundaries. The love of Christ defies um, what's kind of seen as socially um, acceptable. The love of Christ is scandalous in its generosity. And I wonder, I wonder about you guys. I know at, at Jubilee, we have a lot of room to grow in this area. We need to become known as a community full of generous, scandalous love. Just extravagant in our love. Um, we don't just want to be known as sort of religious people who insist on truth, although we do value truth. We want to be people who are known by their love. We want to be raising questions by how we love people.
So when was the last time your love raised questions? Whether it was at work or at varsity or at school or wherever, when was the last time your love was so generous that it confused somebody? You see, the love of Christ is so generous that it, 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 trans, it transcends social expectations. But, but more than that, the love of Christ is so generous that it transcends ethical expectations. What do I mean by ethical expectations? Well, remember what's going on. Take a look at verse 2. There's someone in this dinner party who's a murderer. Judas Iscariot is about to betray Jesus. But Jesus washes everybody's feet. You see, we love people that are nice to us, usually. You know, we love people that are lovely. We love people that are easy to love. Jesus loves everybody. In fact, more than that, Jesus loves his enemies. Uh, Sometimes we say that the love of God is unconditional. And and I know what people mean by that, and, and I agree. But the truth is actually even more amazing than that. You see, the love of God isn't just unconditional. The love of God is contra-conditional. It's not just that God loves you no matter what. It's that God loves you despite the what. God loves you despite the fact that you're a sinner. God loves you despite the fact that you're ungodly. God loves you despite the fact that actually, given our own choice, we just serve and care for ourselves. We wouldn't give a rip about our neighbor. We wouldn't give a rip about God. God loves us Contraconditionally, the love of Christ transcends ethical expectations, not just social expectations. It is absolutely scandalous in its generosity. He loves everybody. He loves the ungodly. He loves the sinner. He loves the person who is about to betray him. Is your love like that? Can you see the scandal of the love of Christ? Can you see how generous it is? So what about us? Does our love raise questions? Does our love cross boundaries? Does our love go above and beyond what anyone would expect of us? So we see the humble nature of love, that love is seen in service. We see the scandalous generosity of love, that love is seen for people who, who even would be our enemies. Thirdly, the surprising challenge of love, the surprising challenge of love. So Jesus has performed this foot washing, and now he explains it. Let's pick it up in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, blessed will be if you do them. The challenge, the challenge is this. It, it's, a moving, it's a moving picture. It's a moving act of service that he does. But Jesus says, 
You'll be blessed if you do it. It's good to know it, but you won't be blessed if you know it. You'll be blessed if you do it. The problem with this passage is that it's, you know, it's, it's so wonderful until you realize that Jesus actually expects you to love other people like this. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I like it as a Bible passage, <laughs> but I'm not quite sure if, if, if actually doing it is, uh, you know, is, is in the same kind of category. It's a little bit like if you, if you go to the gym, you, you like the idea of some of those classes, you know, they've got the grid and heat, and you think, yeah, the idea of that sounds pretty cool, and, and especially when they've got like an advert of all these super fit people doing stuff, you think, yeah, that sounds fantastic, until you actually do one of those classes, and then you have a very, um, a very difficult time about it. You see, the, the point here is that it's very hard to love somebody. Just naturally, we, we don't do it. And, and if you notice what Jesus said, verse 15, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. We should love others the way that he has loved us. Well, how has he loved us? Well, we've just thought about that. Hey, he's loved us exceptionally. He has loved us generously. He's loved us scandalously. He's loved us to his own embarrassment. He's humbled himself into loving us. And that's what he commands us to do. You see, I think often in relationships we're put out because others don't love us. I don't know about you, but I'm very sensitive to others' lack of love for me. <laughs> I can notice it very quickly. I'm, like, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure if you're loving me very well right now. You know, I'm picking up all kinds of very subtle ways in which you are not loving me or caring about me the way that I think you should. But that's not what Jesus has in mind. We actually owe love. Forget about whether I'm being loved. I need to love. Forget about whether I'm being served. I need to serve. I need to give. I need to, I need to love and care. Why is it so hard? Well, I think, it's, I think there's a clue in the text. Take a look at verse 16. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. Okay, so he's just said, I'm the master, and I've served you. You need to be like me, and you're not better than me. <laughs> so if I did this, you need to do this. The problem is, we don't like being the servant. <laughs> or we like to be the servant that is greater than the master. I know Jesus did this, but I'm, I'm sort of an exception. <laughs> In other words, the problem, the obstacle is our pride. We don't love others because we love ourselves too much. We're, 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 we're not serving others because we're just naturally geared towards serving ourselves. We don't give to others because naturally we just give to ourselves. And this can even creep into how we think about love. And this can kind of affect all of our relationships. So here's one way to think about it. I think in our culture, we've confused love um, with hunger. What I mean is, we get into relationships and we do things for people because we are hungry for approval, or we are hungry for some kind of relationship. 
And we go to someone and we say, okay, I'm going to serve them. I'm going to engage with them. I'm going to be their friend. I'm going to um, join this life group. I'm going to spend time with this person at work because I need, you know, meaningful opportunities to grow and I need relationship and, and you know, I need a social network. Well, you're just doing that for you then. You know, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it because, you know, you get something out of it. You're, you're increasing uh, the kind of quality of your own life. That, that's, that's a form of relational hunger that you're just satisfying. That's not love. Let me give an illustration. I think uh, you can relate to a fruit tree in two different ways. You can look at a fruit tree and you can uh, think, man, that is a beautiful tree. Look how gorgeous it is. And you admire it for what it is. And you think, that is, that's stunning. I was recently at um, someone's house and they have this gorgeous apple tree in their garden. And it's got like big, juicy apples on the tree. And, you know, when I went in there and saw it, I was just struck by it. And I thought, man, that's, that's beautiful. Um, a couple of days later, I was there, and I was really hungry. And I related to the tree in a different way. <laughs> I, I realized that that's, this tree could give me something that I needed right now. And, uh, and sometimes we, we think about love in that way. We think about love as something we can get out of it. You know, it has value because it gives us something, not because of what it is in itself. We can relate to God in that way. Hey, God is, God is beautiful because of who he is, but sometimes we think God is beautiful because of what he can do for me. Or we can relate to people. We think, man, this, person's, this person is a wonderful person, made in the image of God, valuable, beautiful. But sometimes we think, I like this person because of what they can do for me. I can, they're a resource to me. And I'm going to sort of serve them because I want, you know, I want them in my social network. Well, that's not love. That's a form of relational hunger. That's just you getting something out of it. That's the servant trying to be greater than the master. That's pride creeping in to how we think about these things. It, it, it means that every, every act of service is really just a transaction. I do this in order to get this. I'm doing that in order to get this in return. That's not real love. That's, that's a transaction. Why I love verse 3, and I'm just struck by verse 3. When, when it says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and he was returning to God, it shows us that Jesus, Jesus had nothing to gain. Jesus he didn't have any deficiency. He, wasn't, he, he didn't need anything. And yet out of the fullness of who he was, he served others. He, he only stood to lose by doing that, by becoming a servant. And so that's the kind of problem with this passage. Um, it ends with, you'll be blessed if you do this. <laughs> if we're honest, we don't. You know, I know I don't. The surprising challenge of love is the requirement of a humility that I just don't possess. If I'm honest, I'm far too egocentric. 
I'm far too selfish. I'm far too concerned about my own well-being. And in the Bible, the consequence of pride is God's judgment. God opposes the proud. And that's what we deserve. We actually deserve God's judgment because the truth is that we don't live God's way. That's actually the message of the Bible. Not that if you are a good enough person that God will bless you, but the message of the Bible is actually that though we should love God and though we should love our neighbor, we actually don't. We've actually rejected God. And we actually stand under his judgment. So what are we going to do? Well, my final point. We've thought about the humble nature of love. We've thought about the scandalous generosity of love. Um, uh, We've thought about the challenge of love. Well, I want to end by thinking about the source of love, the gracious source of love. If you read this narrative carefully, you'll notice that there's more than foot washing going on. Okay, there's evidence in the text to help us see that. Firstly, take a look at verse 1. We're told that Jesus knew that his hour had come. Now, if you've been reading John's Gospel, that should remind you of something. Because earlier on in the Gospel, we're told again and again and again that his hour had not come. At the, uh, at the, at the wedding in Cana, Um, Mary comes to him and asks him for a favor, and he says, you know, why are you bothering me? My hour has not yet come. Or people are sort of crowding around him, but they couldn't get a hold of him, and John says it was because his hour had not yet come. Again and again in the Gospel of John, we're told that the hour had not yet come, but now in verse 1 of chapter 13, we're told that Jesus knew his hour had come. What does that mean? The hour of what? Well, If you keep reading John's gospel, you'll realize that the hour refers to his death. It was the hour of his death. The time for Jesus to go to the cross had come. And it shows us that what he's doing here is connected to that. The foot washing is connected to the cross. Let me put it this way. Jesus was going to the cross to cleanse us from our dirt. One way to think about sin is as dirt. Sin is a kind of um, dirt that makes you unclean in the eyes of God. Our pride is like having uh, mud and manure all over our souls. And it means that we're unclean before God and we're cut off from him. So we need, we need cleansing. We need washing so think about it this way. Your soul is like a dirty foot. <laughs> I know you don't want to come to church and hear that kind of thing on a Sunday morning, but that's the truth. <laughs> According to the Bible, your soul is like a very stinky foot. <laughs> and it's very gross. <laughs> and it's unacceptable to God. Can't walk around his house like that. Your soul needs to be washed. It needs to be cleansed. And so the washing of the disciples' feet is a picture of what Jesus is going to do. It's a picture of the cleansing that he would accomplish on the cross. That's why he says to Peter in verse 8, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. He's not saying to Peter, you know, 
heaven is only a place where people have very clean feet. <laughs> He's saying to Peter that you're a sinner and you need to be forgiven. Your soul is like a dirty foot that needs to be washed. And unless your soul gets cleansed, unless your sins get forgiven, you cannot be, you cannot be part of my kingdom. You cannot have a relationship with me. And so what this shows us is that Jesus doesn't just come as an example, although he does. He is an example of love. But he's not just an example. Jesus is a substitute. Jesus comes to live the life of love that we couldn't live and to die the death that we should have died, to take our place, to bear our sins on the cross. You realize that in the end, Jesus didn't just come to give you an example of love. He came to love you. He didn't just come to earth and say, you, sh- you guys should love people. He came to love us. He came to, to do it for us. In other words, what, what, Peter, what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, you need to let me love you before you can love me. You need to let me serve you, Peter, before you can serve me. I need to wash your feet before you can ever wash mine. So the, surprise, the surprising thing about this is that if you want to love other people, you have to first let God love you. If you want to serve other people, you have to first let God serve you. And he's served you by sending his son to die for you so that you could be cleansed, so that you could be washed so that you could be forgiven. And, and when you receive the love of Christ, you're then empowered to reflect the love of Christ. You see, what it does is, firstly, it humbles us. Right? Peter had to eat some humble pie. Peter had to realize, okay, okay, I need to be served first. Actually, I've got a dirty... My soul's like a dirty foot. I need to get washed first. And there's a humility in that, right? If you're a Christian, you realize that that you need to be forgiven. Before you can even think of doing anything for God, you need to be forgiven. You need to be served first. But having then been served, having then been loved by Christ, you are then motivated to love and serve others. In fact, that's, the, that's one of the evidences that you've really experienced it. If you've experienced the love of Christ, you will be motivated to share it with other people. To the degree that you've tasted the love of Christ, to the degree that you've embraced the love of Christ, to the degree that the love of Christ is, 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 is transforming your heart, to that degree will you be motivated to love and serve others. You see, it's not enough just to come to church and to hear someone from the front say, you should love other people. You should. But you don't. (laughs) That's the problem, hey? You know, I can be told all day long, love other people, love other people, but my, my pride always hijacks my plans. I need to be reminded that although I've been proud, although I've been selfish, I can be forgiven and cleansed. I can receive the love of Christ and to the degree that the love of Christ is changing me, to that degree I am motivated to share and reflect his love with those around me.
So as we wrap up this morning, can I encourage you to look to Christ, to reflect on his love for you, to think again of what he's done to serve you, uh, how he, he didn't just wash feet, but he actually went to a cross, how his body was broken, how his blood was shed. Can I encourage you to go back to Christ, to receive his love, and then to ask to ask God the Father for the power of the Spirit to reflect his love to those around you. Let's pray. As our eyes are closed, can I, um, can I just ask you to ide- kind of identify within two categories. I think some people who are here would would be those who've heard about Jesus but haven't yet made a personal response to him. Others already know Christ. If you're in the first category, with our eyes closed, I just want to give you an invitation to respond to Christ. You don't have to put up your hands. You don't have to do anything. Just Can I encourage you in your heart to say to, to the Lord Jesus, Lord, won't you forgive me? I repent, I acknowledge that my soul is like a dirty foot and I need to be washed. If you've never responded to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. For those of us that have responded to Christ before, Let's reflect again on on our need for him. A day doesn't go by without us being selfish. Let's ask him afresh to forgive us, to help us, to change us. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are people whose souls are naturally dirty. We're selfish, we're proud. Um, we don't serve others in humility. We don't love others generously. Um, we confess that we are, are in need of forgiveness. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, a perfect picture of love. Although he had everything, although he was supreme in the universe, he humbled himself and became a servant. And became obedient even unto death. Thank you for how Christ has served us. Thank you that he lived a life of love that we couldn't live. Thank you that he died the death we deserve to die. Thank you because of his death on the cross, our sins can be forgiven. Our souls can be cleansed. And we pray that you would help us to love others as we have been loved. We pray you'd help us to receive his love afresh in our hearts so that we might be motivated to love those around us with the love of Christ. Amen.